Let's be honest, when was the last time you looked at the technology in your pharmacy and decided it's not cutting it anymore, the functionality hasn't changed for many years, and all these retailers around us seem to be doing these wonderful things that I can't do with my system, and actively demanding more from your supplier? This is but one of the key issues that our guest this week, Patrick Reid and I, discuss in this week's episode and why a mindset of innovation is such a key to the pharmacy of the future. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 61, coming to you live from my hotel room here in Sydney, which, funnily enough, is the home ground of the Transformation Show. You would all know that I live and reside in Melbourne. I don't have any plans of moving up to Sydney. However, The majority of my audience is in Sydney, which is great to be able to visit here, and I'm probably averaging that probably every two months, which is really interesting, followed closely by Brisbane and then Melbourne. So my hometown is number three amongst all the cities of transformation, which is a really, really interesting thing. But I guess outside of APP, I tend to visit Queensland every two to three months, so If you're in any of those states, particularly Sydney and Brisbane, I'd love to catch up with you more often face-to-face. In this vast digital world where we can always meet each other in the cloud, on social media, on the phone, I'd love to catch up with more of you, and particularly if you are in my neck of the woods as well when you're visiting Melbourne. Which is a great segue to last week's interview, which was a really interesting one. Some great feedback, both from home and abroad. And I met up with our show's biggest fan only yesterday. And he pointed out that Sarah's story initially was a little long and it was hard to gauge the context of where it was going. But I have to tell you that if you didn't listen to Sarah's full story, and it is a long patient history to listen to, you probably wouldn't understand the context of her health challenges and why the technology was so important to helping her Um, It was such a fantastic insight that she shared her journey of following the breadcrumbs, how she managed to find the appropriate doctor, common patients to help her out with all of her challenges, and how she built this fantastic community of rare disease states, rare disease patients as well. So it is well worth your time to invest in that. It's a very different interview to what we normally have on the Transformation Show, which is very pharmacist and pharmacy-based. But to jump over the other side of the fence and see how patients can help us as well as us helping the patients and how it forms a great collaboration is such a great insight. So if you're really keen and you're thinking, well, I'd do it, but it's just going to take too long, then as we've spoken about on the show previously, there's some great applications within the podcast app. If you're on a desktop computer, there are ways of speeding it all up. I might even put the links in the show notes if uh, you miss those uh, as to how you can do it so you can listen to the transformation show in half the time. So great insight from Justin Rash from the US uh, regarding the interview. And his uh, tweet was that uh, he's listening to the podcast with uh, Afternoon Napper, which of course was Sarah Kasharski. Uh, 
And it was terrifying what she thought about her pharmacist and their role in her care. And I think, you know, it really struck a chord with, with me and I'm sure with a lot of you who would have listened to last week's episode about the sentiment amongst our patients in terms of what they think is our most critical value we can offer to our patients. And, you know, it really it really is quite variable, which is quite sad, and particularly hearing from Sarah that, you know, she equated visiting a pharmacy to visiting a gas station. It was that transactional. And we need, all need to take responsibility for changing that, both digitally and the analogue space as well, which is... Uh, going to make a whole lot more sense in a couple of weeks where we've got Anders Sorman Nielsen coming on the show, which if you went to APP, you would have got his presentation on the Digilog, which is where digital and analog meet. And we don't want to throw out everything that we've done in the analog world with the, uh, I guess, the analog bathwater. Um, and it's a fantastic chat. So it, it's really, really, really good. And I know you'll enjoy that. I loved covering the Future Health Summit last week. It was so great to see, I guess, the, the, I guess the panacea of where digital health is going and um, I, it's some of the speakers that I managed to have a chat to and uh, some of the vendors that I shared with you last week, particularly the Simband, uh, some of those gadgets that are going to change the face of healthcare from, an active, from a passive to an active state of healthcare, which is quite amazing. But also on the topic of innovation, I'm actually going to be covering the retail and customer tech conference in Melbourne as well. And that's coming up, as I might have mentioned on previous shows, on the 21st and 22nd of May. And there'll be global brands like Tesco, Zappos and Nordstrom, which for people who love following retail, it's such a, such a wealth of strategy that we get exposed to and you, what we can learn from those businesses and applying it to Australian pharmacy. And there's also some local brands, Bupa, Woolworths and Australia Post, which off the bat don't appeal to be great pharmacy, I guess, comparators, but they're all talking about how they're trying to reinvent their businesses as customer-centric destinations. So I'm sure there's going to be some key learnings to take away from that and things that we can apply into our business as well. I'm also going to be up at CBIT next week. So what would you love to see? I've mentioned it on the show that I'm heading up there and I'll put the link in the show notes for the exhibitors list as well. I've made my list of what I'm going to see, but if you aren't able to come and see me at CBIT and have a look around and look at all the latest in business and technology, and it really is Australia's largest business and technology event, then I'd love to know what you'd love me to visit on your behalf. And I'll do my best to catch up with them and report back to you on the show next week as a special CBIT segment. So I'll put the link in the show notes there at robertstar.com forward slash episode 61. There has never been a better time to be tuning into the Transformation Show. And if you enjoy tuning in every week, I would be most appreciative if you could share a link to the show with a colleague that would appreciate and enjoy it as much as you do. And the link I'd love you to share is Transformation Show com.au. They'll get taken to the full catalogue. They can look at anything that may be interesting to them right now and perhaps solve some of the biggest challenges in their business where they're seeking answers. Perhaps the technology needs a little bit of an upgrade. They'd love to know what to look at, what to look out for, how they can actually do it seamlessly and easily. And as you know, that's the best way to find out on the transformation site. So I would love if you could do that for me. We've got some big interviews coming up, a huge lineup. I'm probably as, as well positioned in terms of the number of interviews that we've already got 
in the can ready for you to listen to in the coming weeks as in any time in our history so far. And it's been great to explore and solve some problems that a lot of you have written to me and asked me to find out on your behalf. And one in particular was Greg Kadoran's request from our Transformation Hangout earlier this month, and also a tweet that I got from Online Pharmacy UK, which was about how they're interested how social media can be used appropriately to promote pharmacy, and they would love to know more. And what I've done is I've found a great panel of experts who are going to bring to you insights over the next few weeks. We've got Adam Houlihan, a social media strategist and the author of Social Media Secret Source. Doyle Bueller, a digital strategist and thought leader and the author of The Digital Delusion, and a Facebook pages expert, which I'll name later as I'm not at this point sure whether it will be an internal Facebook person, which would just be amazing, or to be someone who is a Facebook accredited consultant, which is just about a good thing. So really good in that side. And the future of the innovations in developing and disrupting at the intersection of digital and analog, as we spoke about earlier, we've got Anders Orman Nielsen coming your way. And also innovation in dispense and pos systems. On this this week's episode with Pat, you'll hear us talk about what we should be demanding of our dispense and pos systems. And this particular company, which I won't name just yet to keep you in suspense, is delivering a lot of that and are looking to bring in a wide range of technology developments from outside of our industry into our industry. I know it's you're going to love it. It's also your last chance to grab the website webinar replay that I did with John Hollenberg two weeks ago. So if you're interested in finding out how you can have a high-performing pharmacy website, the link is robertstar.com forward slash website webinar. But if you happen to miss out, As I've mentioned, all of these masterclass webinars will be available in the new Transformation Premium community, which is only a few weeks away. But to be in the front row of the queue when it does come out and to get automatically a free trial, you'll be able to do that by registering at transformation.com.au, which of course is the place where you can grab your workbook if you own a copy of Transformation, which I know a lot of you do. So in this interview today, I know you're going to be wowed by the examples that come from not just inside our industry. In fact, we spend a lot of time looking outside of the industry. We look at examples like Lorna Jane, Toyota, Apple, really no surprises there, and online disruptors like the Dollar Shave Club. But most importantly, we discuss why we all need to step up and play a bigger game and really sear and embed a culture of innovation into us if we're going to survive and thrive. I know you're going to love it. Our interview today is with Patrick Reid. He's the CEO of the Peak Body Leading Age Services Australia, pharmacist, community pharmacy owner involved in many different roles in the PSA and the Pharmacy Guild, and he's passionate about the skills and scope of pharmacy. Patrick Reid, welcome to the Transformation Show. G'day, Rob. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on, Pat. And, uh, you know, given your long history, obviously, in uh, business development and IT with the Guild, I know that uh, a lot's happening at the moment and a lot of pharmacists will be looking to, you know, an expert like yourself to work out where their next step might be with technology and how it can help their business and particularly that you're a pharmacy owner doing it all in your own business as well. So I look forward to our chat. Yeah, mate. No, um, uh, it should be fun. 
Uh, terrific. And Kat, obviously, a lot of our guests love to know like how our guests arrive where they are. And I guess, how did you get into pharmacy? And I guess, what at what point did IT become a, uh, a trigger point for you that you wanted to merge the two together? Yeah, mate. Um, I actually started off in dentistry, of all things, and uh, transferred to pharmacy after I found that looking at teeth was pretty boring. Um, drilling <laughs> field wasn't where it was at for me. But uh, Look, it's it's been an interesting journey. If you told me, you know, 25 years ago that I'd end up where I'm where I am today, um, I would have laughed at you. But pharmacy has been a great career for me. Um, I've been in the army. I've travelled overseas and worked overseas. I've worked for international pharmacy organisations. Obviously, been elected official at different organisations in Australia and elsewhere. So, look, it's it's one of those things where pharmacy can take you a whole lot of places. And I think for certainly for the younger pharmacists out there, um, it's still a great generalist degree. It's a little bit like law in that respect. You can almost go anywhere and do anything. Um, you don't have to be constrained just by the clinical or by the, the retail. You can you can turn your hand to just about anything because of the skills you get. So, look, it's been good to me, and I have to say I'm, I'm a passionate supporter of pharmacists and what they do. Yeah, now look, it's you know it's such a tremendous organisation in terms of how how we attract our patients in every week, and you know they're turning to us even back from the eighteen hundreds as the centre of the community to you know find out exactly what's going on, not only in the community but with their family and their own health, and uh, really as our, our chief problem solving role. But uh, I guess at what point um, did technology um, you know become a big part of um, pharmacy for you? Yeah, mate, it was it was. I guess one of those things where I'd, I'd always been a gadget boy, um, as various family members called me, where I'd be pulling things apart or, or playing with different things. Um, but certainly for me, my first contact with technology, of course, was was most of the computerisation in the dispensary. Um, and through that, it sort of led to, to looking at things such as automation. I was lucky enough to work in a couple of hospitals in the UK who had initially gone into um, automated dispensing in terms of the, the product um, range because of the size of the hospitals. Uh, we had a couple of the original um, rower um, cabinets. Yep. So those sorts of things were, were intriguing to me just to see how they improved workflow um, and how they could minimise error. Um, that was one of the big issues, of course, with, with pharmacy, with selection error and a few of those other things. So, look, I think in terms of the complexity, pharmacists are very good with the detail. Um, but like me, I guess many pharmacists feel that they're a bit wasted in the dispensary just doing the, the, the fill, um, you know, doing the scripts and, and putting them together. They should be out talking to the customers and, and imparting their knowledge and, and contacting with them. And I've always found with my businesses, I think if the pharmacist is out the front, um, front and centre, rather than being up in the hiding in the dispensary, as we, we used to call it, um, then you're going to get a better result for your clients and they, they really do connect with you. It also helps you too if you're if you're able to connect more fully with allied health guys around you, whether it be the local GP, local nursing staff, um, you know, Silver Chain or RDNS, those guys, but also to other health professionals. So for me, it was really about freeing me up to do what I did best, and in, to my mind, um, that was talking to the, the customers yeah. um, and with their issues. Yeah, look, it is a changing role that we're seeing afoot at the moment, and obviously with PBS reform, we're getting paid per, pres per prescription a lot less now, and uh, therefore we need to be starting to work a lot more efficiently to reduce our cost of labour um, per prescription and, I guess, maximise our best assets, which has always been in advisory and problem-solving. And, uh, you know, we've often spoken on the show about the changing role of a, uh, of a wisdom giver to a patient, but, you know, to free up the time to be able to 
listen long enough to be able to understand the problems to you know understand the knowledge that's around us and translate it into that wisdom is often the big challenge and I know mentioning automation you know it's one thing that you know ultimately can take us away from those low value activities and put us more on a focus to the high value but I guess as we're seeing you know so few pharmacies seem to be automating right now and I guess why do you why do you see that as a challenge for them? Oh, look, I, I've always had a challenge with pharmacy. You know, pharmacists, my brethren, are tight asses. Um, to be quite frank, the, the fastest way to a pharmacist's heart is often through their wallet. So, you know, I think there's a lack of understanding or a lack of um, metrics. Um, I think the understanding things like, okay, a capital expenditure like a, a robot, a dispensing robot or something similar, yeah, it's, it's a heavy outlay. It's three or 400 grand. It's all the, the change management bits that go with it. Um, but I think you then got to add up, you know, staff time, your time, um, you know, risks around error. You know, it doesn't. It only takes one error that gets outside the pharmacy to to destroy a brand. Um, you know, and and I don't know a pharmacist who's well, a good pharmacist, I guess, if if they know that there's a mistake gone out of the out of the store um, or out of the four walls of the pharmacy, their heart skips a beat. So in my mind, I think all those things have to be weighed up. Some have tangible value, some have intangible value. But when I put the robot in, I put a, I put a Willac robot in, a Consus unit in, one of the first ones in Australia, uh, in my Tuggeranong store. You know, when I did that, um, I did the math. I mean, that, that's what you have to do. You need to weigh it up. And my partners at the time said, you can do it if, it, if the math works out. Now, we were lucky enough that we had enough growth. Um, we had enough, enough freedom to do that. But it was predicated on the fact that there was a tangible, which was really the the time and energy saving of us, you know, running around getting drugs and stuff off shelves, um, selection error problems, error trapping and other things that we could actually harmonise pretty quickly um, and show an ROI for. I think that's lacking. I think pharmacists look at things, unless they like shiny gadgets, they, they don't invest. Um, you know, I've been involved in methadone dispensing. My first pharmacy in Nunnawal, I inherited about 20 methadone clients. had never never done it before. I uh, didn't know a lot about about opiate replacement therapy. Um, so for me, it was a bit of a challenge. But what I saw was it was all a little bit half-assed. We were dealing with, um, you know, narrow therapeutic drugs. They, they were um, dangerous at, at volume if you didn't get it right. And it was prone to, to also to the clientele being a bit slippery at times about uh, dosing and other things. So that led me into producing my own pumps, um, you know, electronically calibrated pumps, which were driven by stepper motors, all these sorts of things. That was just me playing around, trying to get it right. Um, but I still see now we struggle to sell those sorts of things to pharmacy. We, we struggle to get them to see the value um, in those systems, uh, whether it be opiate dispensing, whether it be, um, you know, investing in, in benchmarking software to help them with their business, all these sorts of things. You've got to, It's like pulling teeth, you know, they're, they're too tight around some of this stuff because they, they don't either know the metrics or they know the metrics and they just can't be bothered with the change management. So, you know, that's probably the biggest challenge I see, Rob, is, mm. is pharmacy needs to recalibrate, I think, as you say, around what's time-consuming but not income-producing and then look at how they can rid themselves of that, that process or uh, ameliorate it or amortise it down so that they can automate it. Um, and that's where, you know, every other industry is going and, and we, we have to be the same, to be frank. 
Yeah, and I, I think in a previous episode, I had uh, Mark Lehman, uh, the CEO of Sasu, come on, and he said, your business is what you haven't automated yet. And uh, you know, I think probably even at a simpler level as well, if we ask our patients about everything, everything that we do in our pharmacies and ask them, what would you like to see us do more of? I'm sure it'll be talking to them. And uh, you know, if we then said to them, but we need to put away stock, but we need to pick the stock and label it, they'll be like, well, that's fine, but we'd love to talk to you more. So I think anything that does free us up from those I guess lower value tasks from our patient perspective um, you know it has to it has to kick goals when we start to think about where our business is moving forward in regards to what our patients want because at the end of the day we're not here if uh, if our patients don't want us so yeah it's it's fascinating and, and I guess it, it, for, for most of our listeners um, you know at varying stages of where their pharmacies might be they might have just got into ownership of pharmacy or been in it a while and it's quite quite daunting when considering I guess all the different types of technology around it but um, how I guess have you have you cut through with all of that Pat I know you do a lot of your own research outside the industry in terms of opportunities that you can bring into your pharmacy but I guess what would be the uh, the best way for our listeners to I guess understand what technology is available and what they should be looking at in their pharmacy. Yeah look man I think the, the thing is you've got to understand what your core requirements are and, and obviously for community pharmacy section 90, whatever you want to call it, um, whether it's in Australia or outside of it, the core is that dispensing role. Supply is still the engine room of, of pharmacy and will be for time, you know, for the foreseeable future. So you need to get that system right. You need to make sure that your dispensary system is, is tiggity-boo. It does everything you want it to do. And to be frank, I've been a little bit frustrated over the years with, with our dispensary systems. I think they're they used to be state-of-the-art. Um, they used to be the, the best in the world. I think they've actually fallen behind. Um, when you look at the US and the UK, they've actually leapfrogged us a little bit in, in what they can do. Um, but that's certainly the core. The core is making sure that you, you optimise your dispensary um, as best you can. Part of that these days with price disclosure, and, and we've just had another range of, of cuts um, and more to come, of course, is looking at your, your, your business in terms of supply-side costs um, and managing that. And to do that, you need a really good point-of-sale system. The frustration I see in Australia and the frustration I hear from my partners is the fragmentation. Uh, you know, best-in-breed dispensary and best-in-breed point-of-sale aren't the same product. Um, so you've always got this, this uh, third-party integration that has to occur between the, the systems and they don't necessarily talk to each other. Um, so best-in-breed is always what I'll aim for. Um, you know, you, you can get that at a lower cost, but generally you do need to pay a little bit for it. But I think in terms of where you go to, you've got to look at what the core of your business is. Um, and when you're coming at it, I think having a plan, I, I see too many people get attracted by the shiny new toys or, or whatever in pharmacy, pitch up, pay the money and then can't work out why they're not getting a, a, a realisation of the benefit for it. So if you're, going to, if you're going to buy something like something like a robot or you're going to look at some other form of, of automation or technology, um, even if it's just Wi-Fi, you need to have a benefits realisation plan. You want to sit there and say, okay, what do I actually want from this stuff? What is it going to do for me in my business to help me serve my customers better, to make them love me more, make them love my staff more, all those sorts of things. So you need to make sure that cost and benefit um, is certainly there, but have a plan. You know, and I think that's one of the things that I see lacking, particularly in pharmacy, is that business transformation um, process, that change management process and their consideration of it. So within that, every good change program, you know, you've got to take the people with you, being your staff. Um, and to give an example, with the robot, when we put the Constance unit in, staff were worried. They thought that that meant they were going to lose their jobs. Um, 
I looked at it as just an, a, a method of redeploying them um, to be more effective in other parts of the business. As you say, about serving the customers better, about growing the base of the business, those sorts of things, rather than being concerned with unpacking stock um, or putting it on the shelf or doing you know, the usual expiry date rotation stuff. It was about freeing them up to serve the customers better um, and then promoting the business. So I think those benefits realisation is probably the key, um, but have a plan. I think a lot of people go into technology a little bit piecemeal, you know, they buy a little bit here, a little bit there, um, you know, so I think the reason you see the strength of organisations like Apple is that they've created an, an ecosystem which means you don't need to have a plan, you just buy the, the stuff and keep buying it and they lock you into their ecosystem. Um, we've seen a little bit of that in pharmacy but not a lot um, and not always it's not always fit for purpose. So I think for that, you know, making sure the plan's right, making sure you have a, a plan to realise the benefit for it but also to um, ensuring that that everything works the way you want it to and is delivering what you're looking for is key. Um, and that can be difficult. It's not an easy thing, but I think if you apply a bit of elbow grease to it, uh, then you can get there. The other thing I think you mentioned was looking outside of pharmacy. Um, there is a little bit of navel gazing that goes on, I think, in our industry. Um, we look to our, our good operators and our, our banners for support, and that's great. I think they're there for that reason. But I always like to look outside the business. Um, I look at other industries, other other verticals and, and other places to see what they're doing um, and see if I can learn things from them. You know, the great example, I think, is the Japanese car industry. They, the, the Germans at the time, back in the 50s and, and 60s, were the peak providers of cars. Toyota didn't simply go, oh, well, we're going to make one that looks like it. They used to buy the cars, pull them apart, understand how they worked, and then try and improve upon it. That's what we need to do with other industries in pharmacy is see what's working well. Um, pull it apart, make it work in the context of pharmacy, and then run with it. Um, so they're the sorts of things that I'd like to see us try and do, and obviously I try and do in my own businesses. Yeah, yeah, and, and look, you mentioned Apple, you mentioned Apple, and I probably average <laughs> mentioning Apple probably several times each episode, so I do get guilty of it, but I do love what they do. And you know, when you look at the way they approach retail and the fact that they're the retailer with the highest dollar per square meter in the world, yet you walk into their stores and they've got the lowest density of stock you'll ever see. And you know, we often sometimes, particularly when embracing opportunity in our pharmacies, um, when we consider, well, we need to improve. Retail, Retail because our dispensaries are shrinking, we often think, well, we must need more stock, um, and we probably don't give enough, you know, enough thought to the experience that the patients are actually getting. And you know, it's very deliberate in the way that Apple, you know, mould everything that they do into a single experience, whether it be through digital, online, through mobile in store um you know it's a very it's a very connected journey and um you know you mentioned there as well in terms of our systems in dispensary point of sale in that often the best don't work with each other um and we just don't have that integration and uh you know, it's, it's something that's, you know, continually frustrating um, and, you know, in terms of being able to improve on it, it, I guess, you know, as we're starting to see Fred play with cloud now with Fred Next, we hope to see that, you know, our systems will have what we see in all sorts of other industries where cloud technology seamlessly talks to each other through APIs that are built to allow data to go back and forth, but unfortunately ours just don't at the moment. No, and look, it is one of those issues of, of the use of webhooks and other things to make that happen. I think the sad part is, you know, when, you, when you're building systems at the moment, often we'll see third-party apps, um, you know, like DD books and other things, actually strip data out of the back end rather than being integrated um, because there's, there's this wish to either quarantine the data or quarantine the system. 
um, rather than looking at it as a collaborative approach. So I think, again, the, the model is a little bit broken in pharmacy that some of the old fences are still up there. Um, and look, I, I've heard of a few new players in pharmacy um, who are out there who, who I think come, of it, come at it with a different perspective because they are part of that digital native generation. Um, and they're going to shake it up. You know, I remember when Fred was the, with the junior burger in the, in the industry. You know, I worked for Amfac for a few years. Um, we had 90% of the market back in the day. It was, it was incredible. Um, and they lost it to Fred. Fred now has, I think, about 60-odd percent of the market. So they're in the same, similar position. So I think within that, things will change, mate. And I think the, the other thing, too, is I'm really passionate about the pharmacists driving back to the vendors what they want rather than the vendors telling the pharmacists what they need. Um, and I think, again, a lot of us don't sit back and, and think, okay, what do I actually need to make my business work better? What do I need to, to service my customers better? You know, none of the dispensary um, systems and none of the POS systems integrate natively with online. Yeah. You know, you, you can't actually get a point of sale at the moment, which also has an online component so you can throw up your store online, you know, in an afternoon like you can with Shopify or some of the other OS commerce guys, um, you know, you have to do all this other jiggery-pokery to make it work. So in that sort of environment, you know, I think we're not demanding enough of our vendors. The vendors get away with a little bit of blue murder in that respect. Um, but also, too, I think the government keeps on changing changing the rules and making the vendors work hard on, again, time-consuming, non-income-producing work to keep compliant. But within that, I don't think the industry itself, the Guild, the PSA and others aren't driving the vendors hard enough around what the members actually need. Mm. And, and it's interesting, you know, because, you know, I've, I've probably been at the bottom of all of the different uh, suggestion boxes of a number of uh, vendors a number of times. And, you know, you continually get told, well, uh, you're the only one who suggested this. Well, uh, once we get about 20 odd, we'll consider it. Um, and, th and that's probably the problem in that, um, you know, we're not probably looking at the efficiencies of other industries, you know, whether it be travel, banking, other retail, you know, particularly when you've got those guys like Shopify, uh, Venn's another one that I've looked at as well that integrate with just about everything in a point of sale environment. Um, you know, we're not looking at those things and saying, well, hey, we want that, uh, yeah. but we don't want to have to go outside of it. We want you guys to, you know, make your product more like that. Um, yeah. and, and they're not really paying too much attention. <laughs> no, and again, I think there's a, there's a you know, a, a autocratic approach to, to the vendors um, doing that with pharmacy. I think, too, there's some cosy relationships with banners, et cetera, which mean that you don't get the individual pharmacist putting a hand up, you know, necessarily out of turn saying, why can't you do this? But as I said, I think the digital natives, the, the new generation of pharmacists coming through who will replace me, um, you know, hopefully soon, will we'll have that, that perspective of why am I doing it this way? You know, this is just stupid. Um, and I think that will drive the market. I think we're going to see a maybe consolidation perhaps, maybe not. But, um, you know, anybody comes up with that category killer and, and I, I'm sure Rob, like you, like me and like a few others, we thought, you know, I could get half a dozen blokes in a room and, and sit down and plan it out. Um, you probably would get a system that's, that's relatively usable from the get-go. Um, and push, you know, push back. But look, I guess the other thing too, the market's pretty small. There's only five and a half thousand pharmacies out there. Um, you know, you've got a gorilla in the camp being Fred who, who has 60% of the dispensary market and some of the POS market. Um, it's a tough one to break into. But as I said, there are a couple of young blokes out there doing different things with dispensary and other things. I think we'll, we'll see change and change is coming. Um, but certainly at this stage, I think, again, the, the 
the key is that the seven P's prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. Yeah. Um, so in that respect, you know, plan it out, plan what you're looking to do, think long and hard about what you want, but also too, don't forget to talk to your customers. Yeah. I think pharmacists too, we get a bit emboldened with our own self magnificence. We forget to talk to the customers, um, and they're changing. You know, the baby boomers are changing. They want to stay, um, you know, healthier longer, and they're willing to pay for it. Um, yet we're not creating the niche products for them. We're not creating programs or menus for them to provide that. Um, so within that, it's a challenge, and I, I think you know it's a worthy one for for young pharmacists who aspire to ownership or have ownership to really put their thinking caps on and break the model. Yeah. You know they can they can disrupt this industry pretty quickly, and it's not going to be the chemist warehouse or the Coles or Woolies. It'll be one of our own who actually can break the model and and set the new paradigm, and that's exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we talk to our customers about what they'd love, you know, we often refer back to how pharmacies ran in the 1800s where there were no brands, no manufacturers, no distributors. And ultimately, the pharmacy still had a store full of stock. And the question always comes up is how would they know what to put in there? And they must have been a lot more closely connected to their communities to really understand what products were suitable. And really, the pharmacy was the social media hub in the 1800s, you know, the, 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 the community dwelled around it, the relationships went generations forward and backward, um, and, you know, even further forward in, I guess, the 1900s of the drugstores in the US, they had the soda fountain. So pharmacy's always been that community hub, and any technology we introduce and that really needs to be indistinguishable, but it needs to, you know, obviously benefit those people and, uh, you know, just so that we're part of that community hub, which will really be the sustainability of any location-based pharmacy, let alone a chain of them. Yeah, mate, and I think the other thing too is that the, the technology available now, you talk about wearables, you talk about beacons, you talk about you know other input scenarios where people can easily provide information to you or customise things. You've got to remember that the, the, the pharmacy back in, in the 1800s was about customised medicine. You came in normally with a, either a problem off the street or a prescription from the doctor, um, which is normally fairly, you know, nebulous. You talk to the client, found out what the problem was, and you'd normally prepare, you know, the clinical or whatever there and then. Um, it wasn't a matter of, of sending it off to Wyeth or, you know, Pfizer or somebody to, to build it for you. Um, you did it there and then. So I think that, that approach to customised pharmacy with compounding and other things, we still haven't embraced it significantly. Um, you know, I keep thinking about what the opportunities are. I know that there's a huge amount of labs around Australia now um, in, in our colleagues' um, community pharmacy, same in internationally. We haven't worked out the software to do customised um, galenicals anymore. Um, you know, I came from a background of, of going to a university where Materia Medica was still taught, um, you know, one of the last universities to do so, very strong dispensary program, um, organic chemistry, all those sorts of things looking at the, the ingredients of medications and how they work together, PCCA and those other guys, Medisca and whoever it might be, partway there but still reliant on, on generic um, approaches to that. I think if we can customise the approach to the, to the consumer, there's plenty of ways to do that and input from them. I think that's one of the keys. I think if we can make ourselves indispensable, pardon the pun, um, yeah. to the consumer, to their families, um, you know, that will be the way of the future. I know in my pharmacies, we try and make it very personal for our clients, um, the consumers that come in. We try to know their name. We try to know their kids. We try to know their, their grandparents, their parents, whatever it might be, because that's all part of that family atmosphere. You know, they keep coming back to us because they know that we're trusted. 
they know that they get good advice and they know that we're not going to do anything to harm them. In fact, all we ever do really is help them. So within that, that that's a key. And I think the, the, the stack it high, watch it fly, the, the low rent models, all the rest of it are all have a place, don't get me wrong. But people start craving that connectivity, as you point out. And I think, you know, more and more being connected to community is an important part for pharmacy if we're going to survive. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 it's and it's not just the the physical; it's the digital now, and that so many conversations have shifted into social media. Not a place where pharmacy tends to hang out, and you know, particularly as uh, as we're seeing with wearable tech, um, and, you know, as as you well know, the biggest retailers in the country are putting those things out in their droves and giving huge amounts of shelf space to them to get the technology out there because people do want to go through that wellness movement that we're seeing now and understand themselves better so that they don't get sick and that they are viewing preventable health as a really big priority. Um, but the challenge, as we're seeing now, is that is that pharmacy, I guess, whether it's you know disconnectivity or just the lack of understanding of the technology, um, just seems to play a very, very, very minute role in that at the moment. Yeah, look, and I think the other thing I see with wearables is that when the novelty wears off, they go back in the drawer. Um, they need people to navigate what the results actually mean to some extent. You know, your heart rate, your sleeping, your whatever, that's all fine. Um, but unless you have somebody to disambiguate it for you, to, to help you navigate it, that's where pharmacy can play a role. And I think we can be the navigators of people's health, um, you know, navigators of their health status and, and what they need to do next. The other intriguing part is, you know, when I was at the Guild and others, I implored um, the Guild to get on board with wearables and for pharmacy to be the go-to guys. And we'd, we'd been talking to Polo, we'd been talking to Fitbit and others at the time about, you know, arrangements to have the, the products in place. Um, but we couldn't get cohesiveness. We couldn't get a, a an articulated method for those products to get out to pharmacy in a, in a bulk way um, across all the different banners and different pharmacies, et cetera. So they end up in Harvey Norman or they end up in, in Domain or one of those others on a huge table, you know, heavy stock weight. We've lost that, that market to some extent. But what we haven't lost is ability to, to help people navigate the data that's coming out of those. Um, and again, I think that's a powerful position if we can leverage it. Um, I don't have the answer as to how we do that, but I think more and more we can through GuildLink and others who can actually have a longitudinal record of that data and then, you know, obviously do the analytics over it that's where we, we have the potential to actually be a pretty powerful player. But unless we hurry up and do it, somebody else is going to do it for us. Yeah, well, we're seeing certainly the uh, health insurers at the moment offering, uh, you know, I guess their, their customers to, I guess, link their Fitbits together with their health insurance. And, you know, that might just be them dipping their toes in at the moment, but then there may be the tangible rewards that customers may get for making positive health changes and that, you know, that the customer profile goes beyond what you can, you know, have, the, have your customers provide you on pieces of paper, but it goes to, you know, the quantified self-information that we're seeing people walk around with whether it be their blood pressure at their sleep their number of steps and it can be you know all put together in in shape of you know what are the goals of what that patient's looking to achieve themselves but also from a health perspective when we start to add in all of those other internet connected devices that you know just keep growing and growing exponentially and uh 
you know, you know, as we're seeing through platforms like Apple Health, um, you know, there are great case studies that I've read about from the Mayo Clinic over there where the doctors are alerted of higher blood pressure readings before customers have actually even thought about what they're going to do about it. They're able to call them up and advise them. And, uh, you know, we've got to be part of that type of conversation because I think that's where, you know, the wisdom really can get imparted very well. Yeah, no, that's right, mate. And I think the... The interesting part, too, is that intervention rate. Um, you know, pharmacy is, is the most accessible health professional in the community. Um, but also, too, if we have that proactive data, it means we can act upon it. Um, a lot of that data also will relate to medication management. Um, so that, that intervention, the ability to actually be meaningful in that approach to the client in a proactive manner is a different world again. So I think it's all it's there for the taking. I guess my concern is... We're not preparing ourselves for that. We're still caught up in in supply. Um, you know, the six CPA agreements on on the on the table at the moment. Not sure how that's going to turn out. Hopefully, well, given I'm an owner. But um, I, I don't see a lot of thinking outside of that that supply side arrangement um, and some of the professional services. I don't see us trying to change the way we're approaching consumers. It's it's all about me too copying. You know, trying to set up your own discount store or copy chemist warehouse or copy discount drug or copy someone else, um, rather than innovation um, and changing the, the, the paradigm. And as I said, I think, you know, somebody who's brave um, out there will actually break the model. Um, and it will be, I think, around that, that amalgamation of personalised, customised contact with the customer using online and offline in a meaningful way that, that really embeds them in the client's mind as the go-to people for healthcare. And that's where it does get exciting. I think, Rob, that's where... You know, there's, there's a few smart people out there, obviously smarter than me, but, you know, I, I hear them talking and I see some of the stuff they're doing and, and I think we need to embrace that and run with it. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, it, you know, it always has to be the view that, you know, ultimately there are some things we can control in pharmacy right now, uh, but there are some things we can't. And if we focus our, our biggest energy in our, in our time to, you know, finding what that is, and, you know, I think that means talking to customers a lot more. I, I think, you know, you know, you just hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, the fact that there are a lot of Me Too copycats out there in that, you know, realistically, they wouldn't be copying someone else's model if they really really understood their community well enough to know what they wanted. Um, it's really just a case of probably paying respect to the fact that we weren't educated as retailers through university. We, you know, we're very clinical based with a very, very small business and management component and uh, we're just not smart retailers and uh, we just, um, you know, really need to step up our game to, I guess, play amongst every other retailer in the world in a very professional way. Yeah, look, I think that, again, if you look at um, outside of our industry, one of the, the interesting parts is product development and, and actually finding out what consumers want and, and help them actually helping you innovate your business or iterate your business in some cases. So the example I, I would give is Lorna Jane, which is a, a, a sort of a sportswear company, mostly for women, but I think they do menswear as well. My wife's a huge fan. Yeah. Um, they use a platform called Jive to, to actually connect with their customers Originally, it was about complaints management. Um, you know, you don't like you know your product or the product's falling apart or there's some stitching or problems or whatever it might be in garments. What they realised was that they were then getting unsolicited feedback around modifying the products uh, or innovating on the products that they already had or actually new product ranges that, that they hadn't thought of. So what they've done through the Jive platform is actually create basically an ecosystem of users, uh, their own consumers, who are also helping them build the products. 
and that creates a self-sustaining market. Um, you know, you build what they want, you modify it, get a group group going. So you, you're crowdsourcing your products. You've got an instant market because it goes, yep, that's exactly what I wanted or that's, you know, as close as I'm going to get to what I wanted, I'm going to buy it. So using those sorts of platforms, I think, for pharmacy is something that hasn't been tried. I haven't done it in my own business. So I keep thinking about how I would do it um, and I'm pretty keen to try it. Um, so I probably will have a crack at it. But I think within that, the, the ability to get that crowdsourcing of, what's wanted or what's needed. You know, I've been very, very mindful that I might own, um, you know, three or four or 5,000 mines around the pharmacy in terms of location, service, offer, all those sorts of things. But with online now, I also need to reach out further uh, and that's where the growth can be. It's not limited to your, your own suburb. It's not limited to your own city. It's not even limited to your own country anymore. It's, it's a whole different ball game. So within that, I think crowdsourcing what people want um, from the crowd, whether it be your local local people in the in the local suburbs, or whether it be internationally, again, none of us have approached that with the mind of get the consumer to actually hold the mirror up and say, "Sorry, guys, this is what you need to do to get my dollar." We haven't done that well, and to be frank, not many retailers are. Um, you know, the duopoly keep innovating products, but mostly it's about leveraging the base. Yep. Uh, it's about leveraging the, the the foot traffic in their stores. We keep doing the same thing, trying to leverage foot traffic. What happens when we don't have foot traffic? It's all online or elsewhere. Um, so within that, I think we need to look at how we actually engage with consumers more meaningfully to help them um, help us innovate our business. Yeah. It's not just focus groups. It's using other tools like Jive and other things to make that work um, and then working around that. And as I say, I think there might be people out there, Rob, you may know. I'm not sure there might be people that are using that type of approach, but I haven't seen it so far in pharmacy in my experience. No, no, I, I, I haven't. And, you know, I think it's always just about finding that point of difference and that, uh, you know, pharmacies, you know, although the duopoly have, you know, continued to innovate and grow their traffic, um, they have also done it leveraging our traffic uh, by stealth and that, you know, the deregulation of their front of shop um, in that, you know, 20 years ago, you know, toothpastes, um, all sorts of uh, retail products that we had in our front of shop was very unique to pharmacy and people came to the pharmacy for their shaving blades, their shaving cream. Um, and now as we're starting to see a lot of unscheduled medicines um, as they've been downscheduled have now ended up in there and that's the real estate that they have uh, for pharmacy-related medicines is a much, much bigger space than what it was even five years ago. So, you know, if we're sitting still, um, you know, our foot traffic may disappear. And, uh, and I love that you mentioned Lorna Jane because one of the other reasons I, I've, I've followed them is, you know, their interactivity with their customers through social media and that uh, that type of experience that they do get and they do try to make that very uniform in terms of putting that customer at the centre in all of their stores. My wife as well is also a very big uh, spender in their stores and... Um, you know, they do make you feel pretty special. And, you know, even looking at some of their concept stores that they've put together around wellness and it becoming a bigger thing than a clothing brand, but more a lifestyle and a movement, um, it's really uh, helped them to grow their tribe and, um, you know, build a community around their business. And, you know, ultimately, pharmacies have always been built on strong communities. But, you know, in terms of digital and I think social media is one particular area that we probably don't spend enough time on in pharmacy probably because we're too worried about what people might say um, it really could give us those insights whether whether we're asking for them or not yeah that's right and I think the the challenge for pharmacy complaints are confronting um, you know or, or challenges to your authority around your your 
position as a, an expert in medication management and drug knowledge. But I think, you know, one of the, the failures of QCPP to some extent is, is the, the sort of avoidance of complaints at all costs, um, even to the point of ignoring them. <laughs> so I think, uh, you know, the ability to take complaints as a gift um, and use them is important because you can learn a lot from that process. Um, you know, one of the things we do try and do is embrace the haters, you know, people who don't like our pharmacy, don't like our approach. Um, I often try and find out why. So I'll, I'll actually talk to the haters or the, the people who leave us to find out why we didn't service their needs. I don't know many pharmacies that do do that. They talk to the people who love them, but all you're going to get is the same stuff all the time about why they love you. Um, so in that respect, you know, it's always good to, to know why people don't like you or why they like the competition better or why they like or don't like, you know, competitors. Even if it's not pharmacy, it's other retailers. It's, it's useful to know. So I think the real challenge for us as pharmacists and, and certainly for community pharmacy is exactly how we get the feedback from the consumers, um, what methods we use. And, and again, technology can really assist with that and help you reach out to the community pretty quickly. Um, it's not just surveys. It's, it's things like Jive. It's things like Facebook. It's things like Twitter. All those things which can be a little bit frightening, but if you have the systems in place, you plan for them and prepare for them, then they actually can really help grow your business and grow your understanding of your, your clients, which in turn helps with your product mix, it helps with your servicing, it helps with knowing who you are and what you're doing in the community, and that's powerful. So I really do encourage you know my colleagues and probably even myself to some extent to do more of it. Um, it's something that I think we, we really need to, to embrace and, and run with. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's certainly because I think that's where, you know, the innovation will come from. I think if our customers are passionate enough to be hating us or to be giving us negative feedback, um, then they're still a very valuable asset to the pharmacy. It's the ones that we never hear from again that vote with our feet and uh, disappear somewhere else that we never hear from are the ones that we really should be afraid of. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I think every pharmacist hold, doesn't hold the right to, you know, not be held accountable when they're not doing something that isn't right by maybe a smaller group of the community or it may be a larger group of the community but this person may be the one who's courageous enough to speak up so you know it's the only way we'll uh, we'll be able to evolve and i, and I guess yeah, Pat, yeah go on i was just going to say i think the other thing too is that the ability of technology to help you nuance the different segments of your community too you know it's catalogs and those sorts of things in the past have been a bit of a cookie cutter approach one size fits all you know, I think, again, flexibility around customising the experience for people is possible now with technology. So it's working out what the different subsets are. You know, do you have an Islamic community who require halal goods or a Jewish community that re require kosher goods? You know, those sorts of things where, you know, you may know that intuitively because you're part of that community. But if you're new to the area or new to the thing, that they may only be a small component of your, your, your community. But it's important to, to service them. So those sorts of things, you know, you can do now. Whereas in the past it was a little bit limited, so I think within that, there's a there's a huge opportunity for that that approach to both getting the knowledge from your consumers, them helping you iterate your business and improve it, but also too obviously meeting their needs more forcefully, and, and that's powerful when that all comes together. And I guess as we find, Pat, it's not just about the anecdotal or unstructured data that we, we embrace. It's uh, really re leveraging the great data sources that we already have in our pharmacies. Often mo most pharmacies might have a typical loyalty system that's capturing all sorts of transactional information that we're not really doing a whole lot with, that we could be utilising, one, to understand our customers better in terms of the relationships between perhaps even better understanding our, the relationship between our dispense and retail areas and 
what our top 100 customers really value about our businesses and what they buy together and it may shape a whole different experience if we look at it as well as the fact that we have that ability to communicate um, through digital means as well whether that be through social media whether it be wherever our customers are spending all the, most of their time it's as we've seen with a lot of the traditional media in tv radio it was where people's ears and eyeballs were and it's now in a very different place right now and we need to join that conversation yeah that's right i think if you look at i think you mentioned earlier you know the loss of certain product ranges out of pharmacy is a staple you know whether it be personal care or other items you know within the 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 plethora of data you get from your your transactional history and as, as well as your your loyalty systems you can see when they're buying stuff you know what the average length of use is on a on a standard use so whether it be mouthwash or whether it be toothpaste or even you know medications themselves you know you know how long it's going to take so being proactive about refilling being proactive about the, the consumables or the staples that they might use um, if you look at the example of Dollar Shave Club, that's one of the ones that I look at and kind of marvel at a, a, a pretty much a monolithic model, which is based upon replenishing blades for shaving, which, you know, every male who, who has hit puberty has to do at some point, you know, shave, even though I hate it. Um, you know, they just proactively send you out the blades for a dollar a month or a dollar a blade. You know, it's, it's this kind of stuff where I think, again, there's enough transactional history, enough analytics available um, to allow pharmacy to be proactive in that space, but again, I haven't seen it. You know, you, you do see the refills, you see the, you know, the, the various apps out there, you know, helping with with medication management and, and resupply. But we haven't actually pursued that further to to bundle that up into wellness or self care or personal care, um, you know, into continence products, into other things where we know there's a limited consumable life that they will need to resupply. Um, so you look at some of the companies, they've now gone direct. Um, you know, Hartman now goes direct to our clients where once upon a time they come to us. Um, so there's those sorts of things where unless we're more proactive around it, we're going to get cut out of the supply chain. Um, and that's something, again, I think people know, they, they can feel it, particularly the owners. We know we're under a bit of pressure, but are we actually doing anything to change that? And I think that's where hopefully, you know, necessity will be the mother of invention. Um, and we'll see some innovation and changes come out utilizing technology in that space. Yeah, yeah, and I guess you know, when we look at Australian as a as a large community, and I guess you'd know as well as anyone, you know, we're an aging population now. We're only going to get older, and the demands on the aged care services are only going to keep increasing, which means that people will going to want to stay in their homes longer. And it will be about pharmacies finding more ways to be helpful, and uh, you know, utilizing data to find those pockets of opportunity. And it's you know, it's a real shame that you know things like Continent, which which is such a key category in pharmacy you know potentially could again be removed because someone's just being more helpful and more in tune with what people need yeah that's right and i, I again i think people listening to this may be you know frightened by the thoughts of that but rather than being frightened i think you've got to be inquisitive and just try and work out how you can do it in your own business i think the, the challenge is doing it in a cost-effective manner as i said the the seven P's never disappear. You know, prior planning and prevention prevents piss poor performance. But I think within that, it's it really is um, a case of just applying it to your own context and idiom, and just having those conversations with your clients. You know, would you would you value this? Is this something you would use? Um, how would I go about it? And then just trying to link offline to online. 
So, Pat, it's always like to ask, and you know, it's always taking a view to, I guess, to the future of where we might be in 2030, as we found in previous episodes with our business futurist, even 50 years' time. Um, you know, I guess with time and resources, which are obviously the two biggest barriers, I guess, to most things in change in business, but if you took those away, I guess, what would you love to see implemented in business? Uh, pharmacies and you know even just general businesses today yeah oh mate the the holy grail um i think within that certainly the the pchr and and integrating that health record into everything we do as clinicians um that's a key um hopefully it's not too far away but how long is a piece of string that i think will drive a lot of that approach to us being the navigators of people's health. I think the the accessibility of pharmacists, the accessibility and skills of pharmacists will mean that we can be the intermediary in that to disambiguate the data, um, to obviously guide people to services uh, because of our co-location and hopefully our integration with our other colleagues. I think the other part too is the ageing population, you know, it's, it's going to be a big part of our future. I think that we need to integrate ourselves better around home care um, and through that technology will we'll have a huge impact there. The use of telemedicine um, or telehealth in and of itself, remote monitoring, the internet of things, means that we'll have unheralded access to data um, about people's health status. We should be able to leverage that, I think, into being much, much closer to the client, to their families, um, to making sure that you know, we're the trusted partner that they can come to to help them um, through that process. Obviously, there'll still be a supply function in terms of medication, uh, making sure that that's optimised. Um, but also, too, to, to be proactive, you know, having the analytics about our business, but having the analytics about the people themselves to, that are meaningful to make sure that we're able to intervene at a point that makes sense um, and is valued by the client, valued by the allied health people. And ultimately, I guess, when you're a majority funder valued by government. So, you know, there's opportunity there. Um, I think within it, the, the capitalisation of those costs isn't huge. Um, you know, wearables, the internet of things, they're all built on a consumer volume um, basis. So their, their pricing is normally relatively um, accessible. In the past, you know, I, I hear the old blokes that I talked to talk about their first computers they got in pharmacy back in, in 82. You know, it costs the same as a small boat um, to buy a computer. You know, some of the PCs that they were running had a massive, you know, 200 kilobytes of RAM. Um, they were just monsters, but they cost 30 or 40 grand for one computer. Um, you know, those kind of capexes now are reserved for big ticket items. They're not necessarily about some of the stuff we're talking. So, look, I think pulling all that web together is is going to be interesting. It's going to be exciting. Um as I said, I think the digital natives that are out there and coming through pharmacy now will embrace this stuff as just being part of business rather than being something special. Um, but within that, mate, it's got a lot of upside. I think we get a bit bit down on ourselves and we get a bit obsessed with the, the sixth CPA or the fifth CPA and price disclosure and everything else. I still see pharmacies doing really well in some locations. Um, I see others struggling, but at the end of the day, it is about being meaningful to your clients. Um, melding that online and offline um so i think time and resources wise is making sure you're not doing the time consuming non-income producing work you're able to automate where you can um, and that does cost time and money um but also too then having the resources to go out and integrate yourself into some of these other systems which are out there um and are coming so i think again you know my wish list isn't entirely massive i don't think there's any huge ticket items but certainly just thoughtful use uh, will make a huge difference to where we sit in the landscape. Um, and to be frank, 
Coles and Woolworths will try and do it, but they ne- they'll never get there. Um, we we need to be proactive and be out and, and be aggressive in the way we're approaching that, and I think we can be. Uh, so it's an exciting future, mate, and I think technology can underpin all of that. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's simply a tool. And as I said before, I think, you know, technology is the easy part. Um, the harder part is people and process. Once we get across that, then we're home and hosed. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And I think, you know, just taking that positive view of what we can control versus what we can't control and, you know, seeing the opportunities for what they are and uh, really recognising that those close personal relationships which we foster every day in our pharmacies is always going to be our biggest strength. We just might need some uh, powerful tools to really amplify that and uh, grow it to, uh, as you said, a more meaningful level. Pat, it's been fantastic having you on the show today. Uh, Absolutely brilliant. I always look forward to following your journey as I do and uh, we look forward to having you back on the show in the not too distant future. Yeah, love to. Thanks, Rob, and uh, good day to everybody out there. Cheers. Thanks, Pat. Well, as I'm sure you'll agree with me, it was refreshing to have a pharmacist and pharmacy owner on the show who's just never been afraid from implementing technology in his pharmacies and a long line of different business ventures over his journey. And it left us with so many things that we could learn from, I guess, where we are right now, but I guess where we want to go as a group and as individual pharmacists as well. My three key learnings is number one, and it was a great example that Pat gave from Lorna Jane using the Jive platform to listen more closely to their customers. They originally just wanted to get basic feedback, but what they uncovered was a whole range of unsolicited suggestions and feedback which shaped and grown the Lorna Jane model to the great brand it is today which is just continually on an innovation spiral which is a fantastic place to be in and that's what we really need to be doing in our pharmacies we need to be listening more closely understanding what our communities need and that can be through a combination of the data that we already have but just by having better conversations and creating a workflow and an experience in our pharmacies that enable those conversations so that we can continue to innovate and that's our learning number two plan to innovate today and as we've discussed on the show many times if we keep doing what we've always done we'll get what we've always got and it's so important that we continually innovate in our businesses we can't simply just look at other pharmacy models that work even around the world or around the corner and simply copy and duplicate it just doesn't work anymore and there's far more players than was available just when you were competing with the other pharmacy down the street we've got retailers that are getting into it you know dollar shave club was a great example that pat drew out in that shaving cream and shaving blades was typically a pharmacy only category 10 15 years ago and now you've got a great innovator like dollar shave club that have simply become more helpful and have created a better service than we are so that's something that we've ultimately lost and sure there are still people that would like the convenience of going to their pharmacy but it nonetheless proves that there's innovation there as well. So we need to plan, I guess, where our customers sit. We've profiled them. We understand their needs. And that was we took out in our learning number one. But we need to be able to look at that, look at what we want to do, and look at the technology that will be indistinguishable to the outcome, but nonetheless accelerates us to where we want to be. And number three is look outside the industry. You know, some great examples we spoke about today, 
Apple. I know we speak about it at nauseum, but it's just such a great retail model. And they're doing everything that we should be doing as pharmacists for computers and general retail. And we can learn so much about them. Pat spoke about Toyota as well, in terms of how they simply were able to improve. They were able to pull apart all the best cars around the world and create more efficiency around it. So there's so many things we need to do and we need to demand more of ourselves as business owners, but also of our supporters. So our point of sale vendors, our dispense vendors, we need to be demanding functionality that's available in all of these other retail industries. We need to have point of sales that are gonna enable us to sell online and make it a seamless experience by offering that through a mobile optimized device. We're only now seeing that Google are going to be penalizing every business under the sun if they don't have a mobile responsive website. But nonetheless, we probably don't have mobile responsive websites across the board, but what are we putting on there as well? And obviously, product and service engagement is something that was key to our environment, whether it be physical or virtual or digital for that matter as well. So, so many things we can take away from today. And if we take away at least one thing, the key thing is, is there's opportunity where we look to it. And there's so many things that were within our control that we can change and revolution in our, our pharmacies with. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Transformation. If planning to innovate wasn't on your to-do list before today, it most certainly should be now. Next week, we've got a great interview with Doyle Bueller, the digital strategist, extraordinaire and thought leader and the author of The Digital Delusion, who is going to demystify everything that you thought you knew about digital and social media and put it into practical steps for us all to follow and learn from. I know you're going to love it. Make sure you leave a comment in the show notes. There is always space for you at the bottom. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and I read and respond to every single one of them. And my guests like Pat today are happy to respond to all your questions individually as well. Have a great week, everyone. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye for now.